Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Slavery and the City, a three-part series brought to you by the Open City Podcast. This series is about Britain's role in the transatlantic slave trade and its legacy embodied in the city of London. The biggest gathering London has seen in weeks and one of the most passionate. These are difficult histories and indeed, particularly when power indeed and finance <laughs> mix. So you cannot separate racism from capitalism. One does not emerge without the other. Through an in-depth examination of three key buildings in the capital, this series attempts to uncover Britain's role within the black diaspora, how it profited directly and indirectly from the trading of slaves, and questions how architecture continues to convey cultural and social power in 2021. In episode two, we examined London's Guild Hall in relation to the Zong Massacre, what we mean by collective amnesia and how the buildings and statues of our city play a role. In this episode, we're looking at how informal spaces such as pubs and coffee houses around our cities can be the site for establishing power, but also how they can become places of resistance. Through a roundtable with a member of the interdisciplinary design collective Resolve, we question what we mean by informal spaces and the myths and the rituals that mobilise power. I'm Selassie Setifer, and this is Slavery and the City. We're going to start today's episode with a conversation about the first coffee house in London. Joining me to discuss this is Open City Podcast co-host, Amar Nuri. Hey, Amman. Hello. What is the relevance of the Jamaica Wine House? Or as it was known back then, the Jamaica Coffee House? Situated in St. Michael's Alley, Cornhill, the Jamaica Wine House is a redstone Victorian pub hidden within the narrow back streets of the City of London. It's a pub now, but this building started life back in 1652 as London's first coffee house. Coffee houses were convivial places where poets, politicians, playwrights, students and merchants discussed and debated the news, culture and current affairs of the day. Dr Matthew Green wrote in The Telegraph that coffee houses brought people and ideas together. They inspired brilliant ideas and discoveries that would make Britain the envy of the world. The first stocks and shares were traded in Jonathan's coffee house by the Royal Exchange. But of course, 
what is erased in this account is how these coffee houses came to be, what went on there, and what role they play in the systems of colonialism, empire, and the slave trade. Let's look at the product, the coffee, that was sold across roughly 3,000 coffee house establishments in London by the 18th century. Along with sugar, this is a primary commodity produced by enslaved Africans. Besides just selling drinks, how else did establishments like the Jamaica Coffee House support the slave trade? So the first places we see stocks and shares traded takes place here, in these casual spaces. Later on, we see the trading process formalised within the walls of the Royal Exchange and legitimised by laws and policies created in the Guildhall. Social spaces like the Jamaica Coffee House also became vital hubs of commercial activity. Unlike in the rival alehouses, the drink of choice here was vitally a stimulant. Coffee fueled conversations and social networks that entrenched the slave trade and created a global financial system of inequality still with us today. Thanks for that explanation, Oman. Together, we sat down with Akil Scaife-Smith. <clears throat> All right. So my name is Akil Scaife-Smith. I'm one of the co-founders and one-fourth of Resolve Collective, which is an interdisciplinary design collective that looks at art, architecture, engineering and technology to address social issues. First off, we began by asking Akil how informal spaces like the coffee house came to play such an important role in the slave trade. Well, I think there are a number of ways in which a space might do that and, you know, to take a, t a typical space or the idea of space. And I think some of, the, you know, some of them are in conflict and some of them, I think, work in tandem. One is this idea of the space as a repository, right? So a space as a repository for social function. And in that respect, you might see something like the Jamaica Coffee House or Jamaica Wine House um, as being the obvious place in which uh, larger systems um, might accrete and you have these places by which, like, the the power is consolidated in 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 informal spaces and in spaces for informality and in spaces for public relationships, um, and when we see space as a repository for these kind of social functions and social systems, uh, I think you, it, it's an obvious it's almost like an obvious an obvious point of, uh, of focus. When alternatively, I think there's probably the case to be made um, for spaces and particularly spaces like this, informal ones. Um, to actually play a more central role, uh, a less passive one in formalizing, or sorry, in in um in accounting for power dynamics, and if we look at you know across the board, um, how social spaces have often consecrated um, social like you know in social inequality, I think it's by no surprise that in somewhere like the Jamaica Coffee House, in somewhere that kind of predicated on informality, is where actually we find power being consolidated. So I, I, I think there are two ways to look at it, and I, and I don't think either or are necessarily you know, right and wrong. Um, but that's a kind of broad overview, I'd say, uh, of a kind of sociology of space, um, and, and, and potentially as to why we might find that in this case of the slave trade, in the case of something such an insidious system, at the heart of it, we have something so informal and so loose, like like a like a, a little place to get together. Absolutely, because it is that you know, it's that idea of um, spaces outside the office, whether it's like the the modern day pub or like the golf course, obviously being like the the, the epitome of of kind of like the informal space where relationships and networks are developed. It's that kind of idea, right? For sure. I mean, I think. There's, it, it, it's an interesting one because 
again looking at it through two ways like there's in in, in one hand there's this idea that the liquor that um the excess in any any form like whether it might be like shisha bars in the ottoman empire whether it's uh, well, i'm sure they weren't called shisha bars then but they, you know what i mean like where or, or, or coffee houses here gin gin palaces whatever but the, the the pub um is that excess something that catalyzes um business relationships is it an addition to business relationships and that suits this idea of space as a repository for social functions or is it is it the crux right is it is it that is it, is it like this kind of sovereign paradox that outside of power is what it, it, that outside of the law um is what rules that outside of the rules is what rules like is it actually the foundation of power um and i you know sometimes in my when i'm feeling provocative and I, i'm sure everyone kind of leans this way sometimes i feel like that is i feel like it's not necessarily an add-on it's not necessarily an annex it's not necessarily where um you know um it, where where kind of a, a previously dynamic power formation sedents and stops becoming productive and therefore starts you know revealing its true colors i think it is the color you know what i mean like it's a really interesting space in that respect um as are all pubs in even a kind of in this contemporary context around you know, unlocking post-COVID and these kind of things. There's a lot to be said. It's akin to how we kind of, I think as a, as a society, I guess, position members clubs today, right? So you have these like members clubs often in, in quite plush parts of town, which are exclusive and, and which pride themselves on being exclusive and, and which absolutely encourage the kind of activities and conversations which are so fundamental to preserving and, and developing power. So it's... I don't know, you know, at the time Jamaica Coffee House wasn't a members club, it isn't a members club, but it's that idea of these kind of exclusive spaces which which cater to a group of people and by that by that exclusivity, um, that exclusivity allowing them to have a safe space, right? Have a have a have a kind of uh one contained space where they can get up to all their ills and, and wrongdoings. The comparison with the members club is probably an interesting revelation to what kind of space we feel like it is um, in being central or not to how, you know, how the slave trade was conducted and how these systems of power are consolidated. I think, you know, that is not a members club makes it in some ways more pernicious and but also reveals it to, to, to me, it's like pushes me towards this idea of this space or a space as being instead like this kind of cent- like central to it, these informal spaces, sorry. Um, you know, what, what, what acts as the mem- as the members club? What acts as the kind of the the exclusivity, the the shibboleth, is um is ritual, um and in that respect, it's very similar to like a lot of pubs, a lot of local pubs that you might see in your local area. You know the type of rituals that are expected of you there. You know what it feels like to walk into a pub where you're not necessary, where you're not, you know, um, you know, not familiar with, and people aren't familiar with you. You know, where there might be racial dynamics, there might be gender dynamics, there might be all sorts of things going at play. None of that is written in some statutory uh, paper. None of that is consecrated by law. All of that is ritual, um, and that leads and 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 ritual is inherent. You know, let's call it something. Let's call ritual something that's beyond text. Um, and in that way, of being informal, I think that's where we start to draw these parallels, right? If that an informal space like this is exactly where rituals of power are consolidated, because the space is highly ritualistic. Um, it's not the kind of thing where people are writing things. It's not the kind of things where 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 text is um, 
how we how we disseminate or how we consolidate power. It's a thing. It's it's a place of handshakes. It's a place of rituals. It's a place of eye contact. It's a place of things that aren't said. Um, and even that makes it seem too haughty, right? Even that makes it seem too haughty. The informality is rife in these spots. That's why they can be fun at their best at the best of times. Um, and that's probably why they can be these 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 apexes of of kind of uh, colonial power at the worst of times. Can I just add something in in that on that point of what's the sort of informality and the ritual, um, the ritualistic nature of it all, and what's said and what's unsaid? Uh, one of the things that has been that I've come across is that some of these, most of these sort of coffee houses were places where people would put up posters um, for their escaped or missing slaves or wh- whatever. So in doing that is obviously becoming some sort of unspoken rule where if you were a free slave, for example, you wouldn't be stepping foot in that type of environment because you you are of the understanding that people are ca- <laughs> people are getting captured or people are reporting people who need to be captured in this space. So it becomes a safe space for certain sets of people and an unsafe space for certain sets of people. And whether that's said or not said or implied, I think it's implied by 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 that sort of action or that activity i mean stick with me here because i'm about to i'm 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 gonna try and take this a little bit stratospheric but i was um i was listening to a really amazing lecture by charmaine nelson she has this charmaine nelson is, is is an art historian and she does a lot of work about uh um slave accounts and sorry um, 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 uh, reports of missing slaves and she's comparing the archives in Kingston Jamaica to the archives in Montreal she's making these really powerful comparisons between the two slave um, kind of systems of slavery Um, and she's saying the key and she said the key to really find any information about this about any slave themselves in her research was through these missing papers and actually it's when property goes missing um, is when you're most descriptive about it. When you're trying to sell something or someone, um, you know, you, you'll tell people what they want to hear and, you know, the less information in some ways is the better. You can be Machiavellian about it in some ways. Um, but actually, these papers are are these huge, tel- like, way, th- these, these massive communicators of really, really personal information. Um, and I think there's definitely something there about communicating, about these highly communicative these highly literal, these highly descriptive accounts being in these places by which ritual demands a kind of a hush, a kind of, you know, don't get me wrong, these are, these are loud um, places. These are, I'm sure there was a bit of a ruckus going on in the Jamaica house in particular. But, you know, like the ritual spaces we were talking about, I'm, I'm sure the, the it was centred on lots of things that weren't being said, a lot of agreements that weren't being made, a lot of handshakes that weren't being had. Um, in this place of absence, and the, and, and it's a, a place that is then left out of the story, and then a place that is then left out of the story of slavery, left out of our history of slavery, um, not re, not no longer in the central um, conversation when we think about the Wilberforces, when we think about you know the the Zongs, the Jamaica wine houses and formal spaces aren't there; they're not within that business category. So that juxtaposition of this space of the unsaid and space that is now unspoken about with these highly communicative 
pieces of literature, all these, you know, these posters, these flyers, these graphic things. Um, I don't know, there's something there in there. We can now see how spaces like the Jamaica Coffee House were just as important as more widely recognised centres of power, like the Guildhall and Royal Exchange. Through various means, all of these institutions legitimised the process in which millions of Africans were involuntarily moved across the Atlantic. This process contributes enormously to the current day African diaspora. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Taking the conversation into the present day, we asked Akil what diasporic space looks like and means today. So this idea of diasporic space I find quite interesting and appealing because I'm interested not just as diasporic spaces as places by which the diaspora accumulate not of spaces which happen to be full of people from the diaspora but what does it mean to like be a for the space itself to be diasporic I think that comes when not only the space is full of those bodies but when the program is designed by those bodies, when the the skein of the space, you know, when, when its DNA has been influenced in a meaningful way by the aspirations, by the wants and needs, by the behaviours of the diaspora, of a, of a diaspora. Um, and there we might think of a truly diasporic space. Perhaps that space doesn't have walls. Perhaps that space doesn't stay put. You know, I think that's places, that space is going to be more like playing mass 
than it is like building mass and that by that I mean playing like like jumping like carnival um we open up these really new radical possibilities for what space can actually be and mean um and I find that really really interesting spaces I might call diasporic spaces I think also need to be talked about with a kind of through a temporal lens like these spaces which we hold dear to us that often aren't as you know that are so often in, in in situations of really high precarity spaces which we you know we end up having taken from us or spaces that fall that are, are kind of allowed to to degrade by design these kind of spaces they are diasporic spaces in a meaningful way but also a temporal way um and that's not entirely what i mean when i think um, I, I'm considering diasporic space. So I'm thinking about a space that might not exist yet in a formative, in, in like a formal way, or maybe it does, and we haven't appreciated it to be that. But really, not like, yeah, re- really about not the space as full of diaspora, but the space as diasporic um, by the diaspora. You kind of talked about the reappropriation of space, which perhaps isn't built by diasporic communities and then you're talking about space which is built by those bodies which is built by those communities and 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 you can see that at multiple layers of of the ownership and the governance and the programming is there more power in either or you know if we're talking about the the need for uh, these communities to have more power within urban space to have more power within society and the kind of centrality of space to achieving those those outcomes is one approach more powerful than the other is one is one space more conducive to diasporic communities getting their bread getting their butter in a place like the uk i mean it certainly seems like it right it certainly seems like the kind of more formal and accredited space is the place by which power is consolidated it certainly seems like that might be the way and in the context of diaspora um you you might you might suppose that is the case at the same time, I think uh, it might be worth thinking about the deep structures of power and actually land ownership being one of them. And by the same mechanisms by which we have security in spaces uh, are the same mechanisms by which we may find ourselves in positions to abuse power um, rather than to disrupt. So it, the informality of spaces of resistance that I think often offers our communities precarity shouldn't be disregarded because it's that resistance, it's that position of resistance which offers a longer term change. Um, and it's perhaps that shorter term, um, you know, that, that shorter term value, that shorter term um, security, uh, which is really like the Yanis face of, of, uh, of power inviting us in and then taking us into the heart of this kind of deep structure and we become proponents of that. Um, so I think it's, it's a difficult one. And yeah, ask me when I'm in a position to be in a place that's secure. I think my answer will be relatively straightforward. I'll contradict everything I just said. Um, but like ask me from a, like a conceptual standpoint, ask me from, you know, the standpoint of like my creative practice, I think that, I'd stand by it because there's a there's a certain symbolism when we look at spaces like you know the Tate or the VNA 
get taken over by communities but diaspora communities and the, the, the one thing that immediately just comes to my mind here is when uh galdem did the takeover at the vna a few years ago and i just found that like a very from a symbolic perspective really powerful because it was this you know the vna that's like probably like maybe uh can only be usurped by the british museum and it's kind of like institutional institution of colonialism right like it's full of these artifacts the plunder of the empires they went around the world right and there's a certain symbolism to uh, an organization like galdem which which represents black brown communities within the uk and elsewhere being in that space and occupying that space and, and saying something there i think the the i guess the kind of downfall of that argument though is that it is it's as you said yourself there's a kind of transience about it and perhaps there's not they're not afforded the space or the time to actually disrupt the power structures which you know we need to disrupt right like we need to be challenging these power structures these narratives and i think therefore it, it, the argument is perhaps that you know we need to be creating our own institutions creating our own spaces and and and, and ascribing permanence in that and that for me is it, it kind of comes down to the i guess the the different offerings that these sort of approaches provide and and and, and also the, the realities of the city right because i know you know i know you've spoken and, and written about this loads about the fact that you know the kind of the temple the the, the transient condition is something that we it's a it's a product of london like it's kind of it's almost unrealistic to expect anything else given the the, as you said, the, the land regulations, the the flows of of money and, and property that that dominate the city, that you know, we it's it's hard to to reach for anything else. There is a conversation, a well developed one, and of which I'm not the expert, of these takeovers. They would tell you that it is of course not enough. The touching base thing at the Tate wasn't enough. Um, none of the things there were ever enough. Will be enough. Um. And it's always about asking for more. It's about being invited in that space, not to disrupt, but being core to that space, like being um, irreplaceable in that space, not a kind of novelty, not a dis disrupting novelty. There's also a kind of sadomasochism to the art world, right? To some extent, in in the in the in the kind of reintroduction of decolonialism, of decolonizing the museum and etc etc uh you know there's a sadomasochism to it it's all these museums are like yeah like you know tell me how bad i am the british library are like yeah tell me tell me all the dirt i've done <laughs> of course they are they love it they do they, they, but they do they do and 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 um and when you're in that position you you can under, when you're in that position being of being invited in there you understand that too that's part of your discomfort 100 percent. so i think that there is a um you know, so I, I think that there's something like that line of argument is not to be transient in that space, not to be the person who's invited in that space, but to be that person who is demanded in that space, who needs to be in that space, who's given formal roles in these spaces. I, 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 I there's another argument though, the, as always, there's more things to, 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 there's more ways to skin this cat. And it's also about being in that space at all, right? It's also about being in that space at all. And I think some of the conversations that are going right now about um, how these cultural institutions can become social infrastructure 
are starting to do away and, and how these become can become redistributive. They become distributive. They can start to support things that are already going on in local areas. They can start to support these initiatives without reconsolidating or continually perpetually consolidating themselves as centers of power, but rather as you know the dissipators of them, as, as as a system by which power might be distributed, an infrastructure. Um the question of being there or not being there you know becomes kind of falls out of vogue who cares if i'm invited there for a takeover or not like who cares if i'm doing this or not the 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 key question really is how can we how can we repurpose this how can we reappropriate institutional space to make it infrastructural how can we deliver the how can we use the power to deliver social benefit to places outside well outside of the museum um and with the new with 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 you know new rhetorics that are being um kind of indulged in around the movement of museums the vna east is a good one that we're involved in at the moment but like lots of other situations the tate have a huge focus at the moment on um croydon lewisham a number of other boroughs as well they're looking outside of these places that's a an opportunity for practitioners cultural practitioners like Galdem, spatial practitioners like us, um, curatorial and writers like Skin Deep, like whoever, um, to start really grabbing that and to start thinking about how we can change the nature of this space. How can we change the topological nature of this space, not just the look. Let's not just get lots of black bodies into the Tate. Let's, let's make the Tate something that supports black bodies where they are already. It is about reappropriation, right? It's about reinstituting. You know, it's not it's not just the the bricks and the facades of of these institutions which are the problem, right? It's the practices which shape them, and it's the practices they perpetuate. So if you go in and take a different approach, whether it is about the ownership, whether it is about the governance, whether it's about the hiring practices, whether it's about you know geographically how they're distributed across the city these are all things which can be changed right so when we talk about decolonizing these institutions that is a very feasible scenario to 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 be navigating right because it isn't it's not like we're we're coming here saying these things need to be dismantled we need to take the bricks down and just like plot them and put them in lewisham right we're just saying that there needs to be like a different set of processes and practices which you develop and perpetuate and the impl- and what are the implications of that for empowerment for racial equality these are the things that we need to be striving towards listening to to what you're both saying what i'm hearing is that we need to move beyond sort of the disruptive event and move towards a sort of more embedded system and process that's continually striving towards sort of, sort of more addressing inequalities and and addressing and confronting histories um but doing that in a continuous progressive way and not just looking to one sort of disruptive disruptor event taking place as this takeover um and then you move on but you're 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 still back to pra- existing and practicing in the same ways that you always have done and you haven't really have you ever have you really contributed anything to to the culture or to or to those um, organizations that have come and taken over and disrupted your space for that one sort of event that is kind of held in place um 
as something that people remember as a great event and a great disruptor, but it doesn't real make any real lasting change on your established systems and ways of being and existing as an institution. I think they have a place, those events, but it's not the be all end all, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think they do have a place. I think they are, there is power in the actual act of gathering, like bringing all your crew, all your friends, mm-hmm. people you're just going to meet, and, and the, the opportunities that arise from those mm-hmm. conversations. It's that that has to go alongside an analysis of hiring practices, or like, literally, if you've got this one institution here, what else are you doing uh, around the rest of the city? Like, how you're dispersed, how you're hiring, your collections, all the, like, it's a, it's the, the whole concoction of what makes an institution has to be analysed. It's like that one event should really be a catalyst. It shouldn't be a stagnant thing that just happens one time and then that's, you know, one, you know, you're done. It's It should always end up being a catalyst. Um and I, and I fear that oftentimes, because I'm I'm kind of thinking, okay, so what, what if we got into the conversation of what could the Jamaica Wine House be going forward? Um, what 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 is it about plugging in programs that is more inviting to, to, to these diasporic um, communities um, and plugging into things that are happening in more contemporary um, spaces? But then I feel like okay that might be a solution but is that going to be a sort of a one-time event or is it really going to be a sort of catalytic thing that spurs us onto a new you know a new way of being and existing and and repurposing these spaces um and reappropriating these spaces and really confronting that history whilst we do that um not forgetting it addressing it but really creating spaces that push us into a future that is is dealing with the past whilst also supporting these contemporary organizations and institutions and 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 what black bodies need in sort of contemporary society in episode one we broke down the definitions of empire and imperialism through the lens of the royal exchange in episode two we re-examined the abolitionist movement in relation to the horrific Zong massacre and the Guildhall. This final episode was a lot more about the relevance of the spaces buildings synonymous with the slave trade provide, and in particular, questioning if buildings like the Jamaica Wine House have ever or could ever provide spaces that serve London's present-day black communities. I'm Selassie Setifer, and you're listening to Slavery and the City. This episode has been produced in partnership with the City of London Corporation as part of its drive to tackle racism in all its forms. Its Tackling Racism Task Force is leading this work, assessing what further action the City Corporation can take to promote economic, educational and social inclusion, and considering how to respond to the historical issues such as statues and monuments. You can find out more at ourcitytogether.london. If you'd like to hear the full interview with Akeel Scaife-Smith, sign up to become an Open City friend and you will be able to access the full interviews with Selassie and all the amazing contributors for this series. For one twenty-five a week, you can support the hosting costs of the Open City podcast, helping to keep conversations about the city open, honest and accessible. 
Alongside the Open City podcast, we have The Lundown, our weekly roundup of the week's top London architecture news. Tune in every Thursday morning with Merlin Fulcher and a roster of special guests. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.